Hello and welcome to the Business of Betting podcast. Today I'm joined by Yaniv Sherman, the head of commercial development for 888. Yaniv, thank you very much for coming on. Before we get into this episode, make sure you follow us on Twitter, at BettingPod, and check out the website, businessofbetting.com. Guest suggestions are much appreciated. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Betfair Proprietary Limited. Betfair operates a betting exchange and is licensed in the Northern Territory of Australia. Residents of Australia can join Betfair by visiting betfair.com.au and support this podcast by using promo code BOBPOD. Please gamble responsibly. So thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy this episode of the Business of Betting podcast. Today I'm joined by Yaniv Sherman, the head of commercial development for 888. Yaniv, thank you very much for coming on. Hi, Jake. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Very much appreciate your time. I'm, I'm really looking forward to talk about the United States and your development here and, and obviously more generally about 888. But before we get into that, I want to talk to you. You're a, you're a key executive for 888 and a lot of people listening may be interested in that path with respect to their career. So do you mind just talking a little bit about how you came up through the ranks and I guess your place within the gaming industry? Uh, oh, that's, uh, that's a long journey, but it started almost 12 years ago. I joined 888 uh, as a, a business development manager. Back then, uh, we were just building our casino gaming ecosystem, and I was tasked with building a third-party or non-proprietary content library, and then uh, pretty much worked through business development roles uh, up until 2011, where when I uh, joined the, uh, the group's operational management team, and since then I've sort of um, taken uh, a few more roles. Uh, you know, the notable recent ones were uh, the Dragonfish, our uh, B2B division, which I uh, assumed uh, responsibility for. Um, shortly after 2011, and then uh, again um, through the years, I've taken uh, a few more parts of it. And today, the whole division, including its deli- delivery, is part of our division. Um, and I'm also responsible for our business-to-business operations. So we support our uh, partners through what is mostly a turnkey service. Uh, we provide them with uh, CRM services, uh, customer support, and fraud risk, and um, those operations are uh, part of our group, and uh, it's been a fantastic journey. Naturally, all business development activities like uh, M&As, which we've uh, undergone recently, um, new uh, platforms, uh, launches, new markets uh, initiatives. Um, so it's been, uh, all in all, uh, quite a few uh, milestones along the way, but it's uh, very, very interesting. I wouldn't... Uh, do anything else it's uh quite a remarkable path at least for me yeah absolutely that's very very comprehensive in many different areas unfortunately we probably won't be able to get to talk through all of them but i want to hone in on a few if you don't mind um talk to me about the the dragonfish initiative and how the b2b vision division works and i guess the strategic vision there 
Well, the the B two B division was um, established after we've acquired uh, a large uh, bingo UK facing uh, company back in 2007, 2009. Dragonfish was formally launched, and it went through a few uh, twists and turns. But I think, for the most part, it has a UK or a European facing uh, business. Uh, and mostly a U.S. facing business, and the reason for that division is mostly some different products, but mostly the U.S. Um, state of affairs or the course of action into the market or market access requires you to partner in most cases uh, with uh, either a land-based casino or uh, a licensed uh, operator, uh, and that by construction has a B2B element. So today we're looking for a, a dragonfish through a couple of prisms. Naturally, these are uh, incremental revenues and our ability to leverage our technology and our know-how um, to create additional revenues, but also as a path or an access to regulations, the U.S. and other places where uh, it's not necessarily a consumer-facing or a B2C-driven uh, agenda. Uh, so it, it uh, allows us um, more pathways into the marketplace and diversification, which is very, very important in today's uh, online gaming uh, landscape. Most people don't certainly don't see the, the B2B aspect. They're always B2C in most respects, but the B2B world is sometimes very interesting. Take us through the, the U.S. component and the first sort of diligence you did in terms of entering the market. Were you... Were you able to navigate it easily, or was it a, a regulation matrix that you had to spend some time going through? Take us through that process. Well, the process, people don't realize that that process started um, almost a decade ago where we, when we um, partnered with uh, Caesars um, to launch uh, their UK-facing initiative. And as part of that uh, effort, and remember back in 2006, uh, we've exited the U.S. market on the back of... Uh, UJA, the, the uh, act signed by uh, the president back then. Um, so uh, as soon as 2009, we initiated our venture back into the marketplace, uh, and that re- required us to get licensed uh, initially in Nevada and then in additional states when we relaunched in 2013. So this has been a very consistent effort on our, be- on our part and uh, quite uh, resource-consuming, but we realized that the U.S. is part of our uh, strategy. Uh, not You don't see um, markets of this size uh, developed in front of you um, in other uh, instances or markets. So we uh, dug in and uh, started that journey uh, back into the marketplace. And again, people on the back of them, I'm sure we'll talk about in a second, but latest uh, sports betting initiatives or uh, developments uh, people tend to forget that that started uh, all the way back in 2013. Um, we actually ran uh, two or three B2B efforts. We expanded our Caesars relationship to launch uh, first in Nevada and then New Jersey uh, to WSOP and the Harris brands, and uh, also won the bid for the Delaware Lottery back in 2013. Uh, which we've launched, which we've launched uh, a couple of months uh, later, um, and those were uh, two of the three 
paths into the U.S. market, uh, the third being our B2C, the edited brand launched in New Jersey. So it's been a very uh, um, consistent and uh, uh, persistent uh, effort uh, on our part. And um, again, it, it's, a, it's something that's embedded into 888's strategy. We've put regulated uh, iGaming uh, at the core of our uh, strategic directions and uh, focuses, uh, and the U.S. has been a big, big part of it. Were you with 888 at the time of UEJA in 2006, or was that just prior to when you joined? That was just uh, a year, almost exactly a year before I joined the company. Uh, part of the recalibration post UJA, uh was uh, my role was uh, a function of that in some way. Uh, but the company, I mean, I can't think of a lot of other companies that would have taken that hit back then. The U.S. market was a substantial part of the revenues and the profit. Uh, but the company, even back then, was very agile and uh, was uh, smart enough, the, the founders and then the uh, management was uh, smart enough to diversify, much like our agenda today. Uh, we are very um, uh, diversification and uh, market-focused in the sense that we're trying to get uh, as many sustainable um, revenue streams as part of our business, and that's why we're currently active in 13 different regulations. Um, we're doing that. It's also something to note across the same tech stack, which is also something quite unusual in our field. Uh, when you look at other operators, you can see them using different products in different markets. We are making an effort to keep that consistency because we feel that the true gearing effect. If you look at other e-commerce successful companies, that's where growth comes from, and that's what enables you to cover um, the uh, online space globally using the same, basically, infrastructure and the same teams. Um, so that was a big part of, uh, of that effort from uh, 2006 onwards. Most people talk about UIGA in 2006 as one of the three main years or dates in the I guess, e-gaming, i-gaming world. One of the other ones was April 2011 when Black Friday hit. Do you remember what impact that had directly on you or indirectly in the ecosystem you were working within? Well, first of all, it wiped out that weekend. Um, it was uh, <laughs> so quite a... It's Friday in Israel. It's not a working day, but I remember quite a lot of conference calls back then. Uh, we, uh, you know, there was there was a Black Friday, and then I think it was shortly followed by Predictable Wednesday. There were so all sorts of uh, uh, catchy acronyms around it, but we saw or sort of uh, drew a, a direct line from October 2006 to April 2011. Um, it, it for us it was just um, something that um, was very much predictable. Uh, and we also drew a line from there on out to 2013 and then last May. Uh, I think the, um, the total, the overall direction was it's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. Uh, in these, uh, in these, uh, areas. Um, and I think you can, that line very much defines 
the iGaming or online gaming's uh, market uh, trajectory from um, a dot-com uh, Wild West in the early 2000s through uh, a regulated, um, trusted environment that has some of the blue-chip brands now looking to participate in. Um, it's just, uh, it, it, it has taken a bit longer than what we've expected, but I think we're now looking at additional, you know, additional milestones to, to come. Hopefully more positive ones, certainly. So I want to ask about the U.S. specifically in a moment, and you mentioned May last year, and we're uh, you know, one year into regulated sports betting expanding beyond certainly Nevada and a couple of other smaller states. Tell us about the strategic vision or focus for 888. Is it the same globally, or do you have different regions that you have different perspectives on, or how do you think about it within 888? Well, I think... The- our main sort of uh, from 888 is again is a, is a unique um, company in the, in the landscape in the sense that it's very much uh, self-sufficient and uh, and independent and it has grown um, organically uh, very nicely through the years um, and in that sense we're looking at markets and regions in a very analytic way. Um, Today, the good thing about it is today, when you look across the globe, uh, for the first time in many, many years, or maybe ever in our line of business, you have a choice. So there are more regulations today than you can actually cover, and then you need to figure out what are your strengths and weaknesses and where do you want to focus. And for us, I think, uh, looking at the American market or the U.S. market, very early on, we, we sort of figured out it's not... There is no such thing as, practically speaking, as the U.S. market. Once uh, federal uh, gaming legislation was off the table, we now understand it is more like Europe with a state-by-state approach, and these states differ. Um, The one thing they have across is is a consistent language, but besides that, these should be regarded as different markets. Uh, the um, the Florida, Texas, New York, and uh, Oklahoma markets um, have a lot of similarities, but also a lot of differences that you need to address, much like Belgium, uh, France, uh, Switzerland, uh, and Holland um, have some similarities, but also some distinct uh, differences. So uh, with that in mind, and again, the fact that we control our technology, our product, and our marketing sort of enables us to control this speedboat and determine where we want to go in uh, next. Um, And the size of the opportunity in the U.S. market is one that you really can't ignore, even on a state-by-state basis. Uh, But for us, we've always had choice, which is important because um, in some cases you want to make sure that you're getting um, the best return for your, your buck. Our shareholders definitely appreciate that. Um, and right now, when we're looking at the U.S. market, as, as I said, just like uh, the global uh, trajectory, you have, uh, besides the eight states that have already legalized uh, either sports betting or iGaming, you have, I think, a bit uh, like something like 20-odd states in play. So you can plan for the longer term and see which states you think you can make uh, more, get more market share, more return, and ones that you may leave uh, either altogether or 
down the line. We don't have an overarching uh, strategy um, to take every state and every property um, under our wings because we're, we're realistic in that sense, and we think that um, focused effort is much more efficient than just spreading yourself too thin. We've done the same in markets that we've been very successful in, like um, like Italy and Spain, um, Denmark. We've recently launched in Sweden. Um, these are all very big markets, um, top five European markets. So you can draw a line or a comparison between them and the larger U.S. states, and we aim to... to uh, to sort of uh, implement those uh, in the U.S. as it develops. But this is something for, it's a longer-term process. I think everybody now understands this is not a big bang. It's, a, it's an evolution, and uh, we need to make sure that we're, uh, we have a consistent approach across it. So do you have a priority list then? Are you looking at somewhere like New Jersey, which is economically more friendly than, than other states, for example, as a as a must versus other places which might be a, you know, Pennsylvania, for example, or even Mississippi with land-based sports wagering only, and you're essentially evaluating them against each other and then deciding which states to prioritize? Well, that's exactly the exercise that we're going through. Uh, and, uh, and you know, New Jersey is, is sort of an old brand because we are already in the marketplace, so we've, we've sort of made the initial investment into it, and it's now our choice of how hard and how aggressive we want to be in the marketplace, which is still quite um, competitive, but that's the case in most other markets. I think New Jersey is a good example of a market that balanced a very effective and um, and uh, business-minded uh, regulator and have done an excellent job in putting a framework that allows people to work but also keep them accountable. Um, and when um, you draw a line there, then other states have different requirements. As you mentioned, Mississippi is retail only. Um, Pennsylvania has its challenges in terms of the tax framework and the overall requirements. So we're definitely looking into those. And, and now you see Iowa, hopefully, and, and uh, Indiana um, coming up. Um, and we're, we're looking naturally very interested in, in Ohio and Michigan and Illinois. Um, the smaller states, uh, like West Virginia and Rhode Island, um, again, you need to consider whether you want to go after a bigger market share in a smaller market or vice versa. But there's definitely a few parameters you need to to consider in each. Um, time to market is another one. Um, but uh, I think the good thing about it is now you're looking at this from a geographical standpoint. Then the tri-state area being one, and then uh, the Midwest uh, area that sort of created geographical continuum through most of the eastern United States, that alone creates um, a compelling um, potential market. Also because of the way that you need to, to market across the U.S., which is not a cheap exercise, um, state proximity and uh, television syndication or um, communication syndication also plays a part. You want to make sure that your return is there. Uh, you want to get to as many eyeballs uh, as possible for your uh, marketing budget. So it's so definitely something that we're looking into um, and making those considerations alongside of our global business 
so this is again it gives us mainly it gives us choice and um, the ability to deploy our uh, technical and marketing know-how through various markets. So within that, do you have unlimited bandwidth to attack any state you want at any time, or do you need to be selective and and within the launch process in each state, you have to be selective and you need a business case behind that before you move forward? Uh, Well, I don't think anybody has unlimited bandwidth. I mean, even the biggest companies at the end need to prioritize. It's just on a different scale sometimes. And again, I think that the fact that this is a state-by-state allows uh, you to prioritize because not everything happens at once, at least not until now, not in this market. And um, what we're doing is that there's definitely a business case behind uh, each uh, market, but it's not necessarily defined by one state. So I gave an example of, of New Jersey, but New Jersey and Pennsylvania aren't necessarily two completely separate markets. Not, they share a border and they share similar networks um, and uh, you know, similar uh, uh, populations traveling back and forth. That will naturally be the case for New York and New Jersey uh, when New York um, regulates mobile uh, mobile gaming, mobile sports betting, hopefully soon. Uh, So the business cases are a little bit more complicated and they're not standalone, but they're definitely the thing that we're looking through the prism and also um, considering the uh, longer term or the strategic value of being in the market, uh, an early entrant versus a later uh, launch, uh, figuring that out. But there's definitely, there are definitely numbers behind it um, anytime we look at a certain consideration, uh, given the different tax schemes and fees uh, and uh, investment that's required in every uh, every state. Are there any other non-financial or economic considerations that go into it? And I, you know, New York's a good example. It may not be the case that we have online and mobile sports betting in the next 12 to 24 months if the legislation doesn't pass and the governor doesn't sign it, for example. But it may be a state strategically that you just want to be there, so you're more than happy to invest and allocate resources now. Is that is there is there other things that go into the analysis, not just the the, the numbers? Um, well, I can tell you that everything goes into that business case, including the strategic values and all the way down to how do you make a return. But at the end of the day, we are obligated to translate all of this to uh, business parameters. So at the end of the day, even with the strategic value, we need to quantify that somehow to uh, make informed decisions. Otherwise, these are just uh, at best educated gambles. Although we are in that business, uh, we need to be more calculated uh, than that. Uh, I think when you look at the bigger states, uh, I think New York and California represent the tipping points. I think when these naturally, these two states and maybe the other two are Florida and Texas, but New York and California have the, let's call it the symbolic or declarative values. These would um, sort of uh, get the market over the edge and, and make it almost federal. Uh, so to me, as I'm looking at this today, these two are uh, absolute um, pivotal in any future strategy, but they're not uh, a precondition. So as I said, if we even get uh, New Jersey, New Jersey is already live, but if you get Ohio, Illinois, um, 
And uh, Michigan, just to give an example, you're getting a, an access of over 30 million people with uh, a potential market size um, that you know, exceeds uh, Italy in potential or Sweden or any one of the bigger um, European markets potentially. So that alone justifies um, the investment and the focus. Uh, but again, hoping and uh, precondition is that it creates a competitive uh, landscape. I think uh, we mentioned New Jersey as a good example. We've seen all sorts of um, proposals and bills floating around. Um, and I think it's imperative that the regulator and the legislators put um, what is a, a responsible and um, player-minded framework but also allows businesses to compete in the marketplace if they really want to see growth and um, you know uh, tax revenues and all the things that you essentially go about regulation for. Um, I think we already have a few examples of markets that are doing it uh, a bit more restrictive. And then, as I said today, when you have a choice, operators can also elect to go into different states and uh, uh, wait to see better returns on others. So I hope that uh, in most states, most of the operators will be afforded the opportunity to compete. How do you see the next two to three years playing out? Is it simply an initial investment and capital expenditure phase with some form of rollout? And and there won't be necessarily too many states that are smooth sailing with sports betting? Or do you treat it differently? Well, regulation at the end, what it did a few years back when it started, when we started seeing more and more uh, countries, uh, mainly Europe and then in the U.S., regulate, what it does, it raises the bar. Uh, back in the mid-2000s, the bar was pretty low in the sense that technology was already prevalent and very accessible, so uh, people could launch online destinations relatively easy. In came regulation and raised the bar back because it requires, exactly as you've outlined, more investment and more focus and more mostly state of mind from these organizations. And I think that uh, the incremental investment is always there, whether it's bigger or smaller, but I think what's important here is to have the framework and the infrastructure that allows you to build more and more regulations on top of it. That's why we're building. The way we're building our platform and developing it is for it to be able to support multiple regulations of what is essentially the same code base. And that way you can deploy in, uh, and that's, that's the way that you can uh, ensure that you, are, you have an attractive time to market. Uh, we initially, I, I keep telling that, and initially for the Italian market, which was one of the most challenging regulations that we deployed in back in 2011, it took us over a year to deploy a single market. And today, we, we typically launch two, sometimes three regulations or regulated markets per year or, or per product. Um, our ability to do that is key if you want to roll out across different markets in different states in a relevant time frame and also um, control your cost because I think a lot of uh, the operators in, in, the, in the landscape um, are opting for time to market but uh, uh, choose different uh, technologies, different providers. They work across different platforms and state lines and markets, and that's a very expensive exercise because it doesn't give you the, the online gearing effect. 
when you look at an Amazon, when you look at an Uber, when you look at a Netflix, their ability to work off from a central tech base or tech stack and scale up on a market-by-market market basis, I think that's a secret sauce for, for e-commerce and online gaming. And if you are focused on regulation, you have no real choice because if you don't, you end up multiplying and duplicating your organization and your cost base um, grows with your revenues. And that's, uh, that's not something that is, uh, I think, sustainable or really scalable. So I think scale is, is key here, but you also need to have the infrastructure to support it. For a place like New Jersey in sports betting, for example, I know this may not necessarily be your, your key area of focus, but on the marketing side, how do you approach it when it looks like there might be 20 different brands or 20 different skins available in that competitive marketplace? How does 888 or generally from a high level think about marketing in a, in a competitive marketplace like that? Well, we've been looking at that and people, uh, you know, we sometimes lose track of time, but it's, it will be only a year from uh, May 14th since Passport was repealed and only about, um, it was July 15th when New Jersey launched. So um, just uh, 10 months since we've, uh, the first regulated online bet was made in the U.S. So in our lifetime, it's just uh, um, you know, a fraction or a very short amount of time to draw conclusions. But the way we're looking at the market today is um, it basically has four pillars, and the way you implement them is relevant for New Jersey, so it's relevant uh, in any other state. It, it has technology, it has a brand or marketing, it has data, and it has market access. In New Jersey, we have basically um, all four, but you may end up um, changing your marketing strategy or changing your brand strategy as a result of that. Uh, I think New Jersey is by far the most mature, although it's still developing and growing, but in the most mature market uh, in the U.S. today. And um, I think the and you're you're right that there's quite a, a bit of competition because some of the brands consider this as a test bed, uh, and the market is already on a I'd say five or six hundred million dollar run rate, so it has an, enough meat on the bone to sort of test things out. But we're looking at this from a, from a cross-state perspective, and we want to make sure we figure out all four pillars, uh, and that's one of the reasons that uh, predominantly that we've um, made a few of our recent acquisitions. Um, we bought uh, a, a European sports book out of Dublin, uh, Betbright, that we're now uh, integrating into our platform. We will be looking naturally to create a differentiated product experience and that ties in very much to data and the brand. Um, but I think this is the longer-term goal. When you're looking two, three years down the line, I think you should look at New Jersey as one of our, one of your anchors. But by then, you'll have two or three other states that you will need to um, market and develop consistently um, to really garner or get that, that scale that, uh, that brings momentum. Um, so New Jersey is definitely key here, but it's not uh, by far. It's not the uh, and it's just the beginning of uh, of that process right now. It's certainly a very measured response. I know a lot of people are talking about that market and have many strong opinions. So 
Yeah, it's good to hear an executive in this space talking very measured about it. I, w- I want to ask about what are the advantages that accrue by having different areas of the business? You mentioned earlier about diversifying and the, the benefits of that, but you've obviously got the sports betting, the poker, which we haven't talked too much about, the different B2B businesses and things like that. How do you see that as a holistic uh, approach to the, to the market? Well, again, I mean, we're operating three uh, three products in the New Jersey uh, market and uh, across the U.S. We we offer Nevada um, our poker in Nevada through the WSOP partnership. We've connected the three states into one shared network uh, last year, last May, seeing an amazing result and uh, response from the players. Um, by far, the biggest U.S. regulated uh, poker network. Um, so that's created some uh, positive traction. And I think that the idea would be is to create as many opportunities for ourselves and also for the marketplace and for the players to engage. I know some of the states would will only license um, sports book or uh, regulate sports book at this point because that's more palatable. But we've definitely sort of got the message across that Whatever product, if it's, it's uh, sport and poker, sport and casino, um, the more product there are in the marketplace, the more choices players have, and then the better returns are uh, for the state. Um, to understand that sport, even for the biggest bookies in the world throughout um, different markets, sport is the one product that um, is completely external. It's event-driven, and in certain results, uh, the market can entirely, go entirely into the red, as we've recently seen. I mean, the latest result from New Jersey will be very interesting, but on the back of um, the latest uh, Kentucky Derby and before that, uh, the, the uh, PGA Masters uh, that saw uh, some very interesting results, I think the U.S. sports betting in, in its early days uh, will see the volatility and um, the uh, – subsequent reaction from players. But I think it's, it's very interesting for us. I mean, if you look at the overall strategy, I think it's going to be very much product-led. You've mentioned different brands. I think the brand synonymity is secondary in the U.S. market um, to product value and product uh, uh, quality. Uh, and I think that the biggest or the most interesting competitors in the marketplace are still to uh, to reveal themselves. It can be very big or very small, but our, if I can say, uh, our message internally in the company and also externally is just stay nimble and agile because there'll be a lot of surprises here and we will need to react very quickly and very effectively to, uh, to these developments. Yeah, no, it certainly makes a lot of sense. And, you know, it's going to be an interesting couple of years in this space no doubt as sports wagering continues but you're right there are still incumbents and existing gaming going on that obviously is important so one final question for you on and i very much appreciate you sharing some fascinating insights from a both a b2b and b2c perspective i want to ask you about aspiring gaming executives and we touched on it earlier uh, how can they get involved in this space what things do you think are unique to gaming that they should be aware of and also things that are not unique that apply across the board generally to business? 
Well, I think that gaming is fascinating to me because, at least from our perspective, especially in 888, I, I had the benefit and the privilege of doing two things. First of all, dealing with a, um, a business and a market that had everything online had to offer. It had both consumer-facing and B2B elements. It has uh, marketing. It has product and technology and e-payments and, and uh, global markets. So to me, it's just uh, I can't think of any uh, any other industry or um, market, even within e-commerce, that is uh, as interesting and dynamic. Um, and uh, how much uh, I've gone through over 12 years, uh, very little, or I know very few people that have uh, seen so many developments in such a time time frame. So I can definitely encourage people who want to get involved in the field. If, if you even want to learn about the online and e-commerce experience, I can't think of any other sector that has more diversity and interest in it. And I think from a business perspective, in that sense, it's not much different than other places. It just, it's just in some cases more fast and furious. You're not, you're not just down to your ideas, but a lot to do with the execution. And that's the second element I've had a privilege of being part of. I mean, it has some of the most, Remarkable people uh, globally today, over seven, uh, we're over 1,500 people in, in seven global sites. But the core DNA of the company, of the people, um, is just a microcosmos of, of what um, online execution and excellence is about. And that's the one thing I, you know, inspiring executives should, should look at is the crew or the people that you join and then eventually surround yourself with and then manage um, will we'll determine your success. Uh, at the end of the day, um, that, that is the combination. That's the one constant in our equation. All the others are variable. Marketing conditions can, can differ. We just spoke about 2006 and what a, a major external event can happen in the company. In other companies with different people, I am almost certain, and we've seen it, that could have been the end of the company. But because of the state of mind and because of the, um, the dominance and the professionalism of the people running and working for the company, they were able to pull through from what could have been a terminal blow to any other business. So I think the people are the key factor here and choose carefully uh, who you work for and with. And I think the rest, you know, at the end of the day, the talent, the talent eventually works its way through, whether in gaming or anywhere else. But that's probably the smartest thing I can say, if it's even considered smart. I don't know. No, that's a terrific answer. And I'm sure over the last 12 years since you started as a business development manager, the the path has be, been very unique and fascinating. And I'm sure the next 12 will present many similar unique and fascinating challenges. And I certainly wish you all the best. I thank you very much for your time today. And I'm sure a lot of people listening found it fascinating. Thank you, Jake. Thanks for the opportunity.